Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. And a call here with you in the company of Mr. Joko James. Hello. Hello. With my pinkish hue here, both of you guys looking handsome and colored and supposedly living in the place where it's cloudy and horrible. And here I am in 95, you know, I'm I'm a Fahrenheit guy, obviously he's a dumb American, but 95 degree heat. And I mean, look at me, what a disaster. The second person you are mentioning there is Alan Morrison, who after long weeks of negotiations, we have managed to get him back on the show because we can finally afford his wages. That windfall of Saudi cash has also come into the huddle breakdown. So, Alan Morrison, great to have you with us. Um, how was your holiday? Good time away? It was good, thanks. Yeah, yeah that cash didn't get you an injection of new quality. It just managed to keep hold of the, of the same old, which I think is a, is a topic we might come on to. But, uh, yeah, it's, 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 sadly for James, it's obviously far too hot to even go outside. He's got he's got the skin pallor of somebody who lives in air conditioning. <laughs> when it isn't raining here, which isn't very often, at least we can go outside. <laughs> well, it, I'm telling you, it looks like a November's day outside of my window at the minute, so... I'm huddled on the inside. Look, we have plenty to talk about on the show today. There is um, some transfer news that has been breaking today. It hasn't been confirmed by the club, but it seems that there are two players coming in the door from the K-League uh, coming to Celtic. We're going to be talking about Cal McGregor's role, his five-year deal with the club. Alan, you've been writing about that, so that's coming up later on. But I wanted to bring you some audio from a press conference yesterday that I had the privilege to attend. Mr. Brendan Rogers was in front of the Irish media yesterday. He was speaking ahead of Celtics game in Dublin in July. Um, they're playing Wolves on the 29th of July. So that's the game that was supposed to be in Korea. It's actually in Dublin now. So I got to attend it, which means I got to ask Rogers some questions. So I, you might have seen the audio on Twitter already, but if you haven't seen it, this was uh, me asking Brendan Rogers some questions in the press conference. Now, one thing I should say before we get into it is that the audio quality isn't great because for some reason they didn't record our end in the way that it was going through the, the Zoom feed. I actually had my mic on and everything to be professional about it, but for some reason they sent us audio that is essentially coming out of Brendan Rogers' computer. So um, his audio is fine. My audio is not. That is the uh, that is the content warning going into this. So, this is uh, myself speaking to Brendan Rogers in the press conference yesterday, and the questions I asked. Just wondering about the style of play that you hope to implement at Celtic. Ange obviously played a fairly strict four three three. I know it changed throughout the game, but it was inverted fullbacks, and four three three was what he played in Europe as well. 
you've very much played a 4-3-1 with overlapping fullbacks, so I wonder what's your adaptation to the Celtic squad with the players that Ange has who are used to playing in a, a certain type of way? Mm. Yeah, listen, I think if you've if you followed my career through my teams, you'll see that the in terms of stylistically, it's not too different in relation to when you haven't got the ball, being really uh, aggressive in your pressing and uh, and really limited, limiting the space of the opponent. Uh, and then when you have the ball, being expansive, being creative, uh, but also very organised within that. Maybe the slight differences might be that uh, I like the team to play at different systems. You know, so when I was at Celtic the last time, we we defended in four two three one, and uh, and then when we had the ball, we were three four three. So, so really, the the three basic rules I always work with is to be intense and aggressive when we haven't got the ball, to be as attacking as creative as we can, and always to have one more player in the middle of the pitch than the opponent. That's a, that's the three basic rules. So. Um, and uh, and that has served me well throughout my career. But also, like I said, my teams are, are flexible and playing. I like them to play out of different systems um, where, where required. And can I ask about the goalkeeping situation and where Joe Hart comes into it? Because I know modern football is very much taking a step towards ball playing uh, goalkeepers. Joe Hart is probably the generation just before that. Um, is he going to be the, the starting goalkeeper for Celtic next year or is that a position that you're looking to uh, potentially bring in some more competition for him or even uh, a, a player to replace him as the number one? Mm. Well, listen, as I said earlier in the in the briefing, it's really for me to assess everything at the moment. But I've always liked Joe. Joe's he, he's 36 years of age, but I see him every day. He, he trains so hard. Uh, he's a great influence around this changing room and uh, and I think that's going to be really, really important. And you can never underestimate that. I think as a player, I think he he's undervalued in terms of what he can do with his feet. You know, I don't need him to be Edison at Man City. I just need him to, to keep the ball out of the net and then when it goes back to him, I just need him to play simple. So... Uh, and from what I've seen so far and when I've seen Celtic games in the past, I think he can do that. So, um, so yeah, that, that obviously question probably maybe applies for later on. But as I see Joe now, he's been fantastic for the club. He's been a great influence. Um, and like I say, we'll, uh, I'll assess it over time. And just finally, on the style of play, bringing it all together, Matt O'Reilly is obviously a key player in the midfield and has been... In- he spoke about the different roles that he had in Europe versus domestically, and I think you could very much see that in the way that he was used as the, the main presser versus the ball-playing midfielder in, in domestic football. Is that going to be something that you bring to the club as well, that in Europe there will be different expectations of different players to fulfil different roles? Yeah, the, the, there's no doubt that, that I think the, the level jumps you know, to quite significantly when you go into Europe, so you always... You know, you always have your own ambitions for your own team, but you always have to be respectful for the level of opponent that you're playing, and that's probably something that I've I've learnt also through through time. Um, so yeah, so I think it's again it's being adaptable and being flexible. We're always, uh, you know, our stylistically, we always know how we want to play, um, and and we will be able to do that. 
but uh, but at times when you're playing against the the bigger opponent, uh, you, um, you there'll be other things for you to think about. So that was Brendan Rogers speaking in front of the Irish media yesterday. I'd like to thank my fellow uh, colleagues in the Irish media for asking the questions about James McCarthy and Liam Scales and Mikey Johnson and getting all the newsy stuff out of the way so I could actually ask him the questions that I wanted to as opposed to wasting one of the questions, finding out whether he has a future, James McCarthy has a future in the Celtic midfield. Um, Alan, we'll kick off with that. I mean, there's loads of interesting little nuggets within those three answers, but the one that stands out to me is the adaptable and flexible quote in the European football because, I mean, that is as far away from Ange Postacoglu's uh, prerogative as it possibly could be. So um, that that's something I, I presume most Celtic fans will be happy to hear. I would hope so. You know, there was nothing um, intrinsically wrong with Ange's approach. And as I say, he wasn't as set and stuck as maybe he was painted as. But on the other hand, it was very clear to me after the European Champions League campaign that we, we were going to struggle. Um, had we, you know, if we tried to continue to play the way we were against, especially against top level teams, um, especially the pressing, uh, the pressing strategies just were not going to scale <laughs> for the reasons that I've, I've given over and over again. Um, I think in retrospect, we were very, a bit unlucky, really. We should have won both games against Shakhtar. We should have finished third in the group. Shakhtar, obviously, a, a team in distress, not even playing in their home ground. Um, and therefore, you know, that was a good draw for us, actually. And we should have really progressed to the Europa League. So that was disappointing and a, and a bit unlucky. Didn't take our chances, etc. And probably didn't do a good enough job of keeping the ball out then either. But yeah, in, 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 in essence, I, I, I think this is a, a different Rodgers to what we're getting from um, seven years ago, you know, when he was at Liverpool, there would have been an onus and there was an onus to be front foot and attacking. He was quite wedded to the sort of 4-2-3-1 shape. I think we saw very little variation from that at Celtic first time round. Um, I think in, in four years at Leicester, three of which he massively overperformed, the club massively overperformed in terms of their position in the EPL and their success in, in cup competitions as well. Um, he's learned a lot of new tricks or, or a lot of refinements and a lot of um, adaptability, uh, really, to the way that his teams play. And that's actually the thing that's most exciting me about uh, Rogers being back this time around, is to see how he problem solves um, for different scenarios. Mm. James, I mean, that is probably the, the key point, And I think you would have been very uh, vocal about the way that Celtic were playing in Europe and the lack of adaptability from Ange and how hardline he was on, on certain aspects of the play. I know he did change some things, but in terms of how open Celtic played, I don't think we'll get that from Rodgers. I do think there is going to be that uh, difference in how we play domestically and how we play in Europe. I think there's going to be a bit more pragmatism in the sense of more defensive pragmatism from a Brendan Rodgers team. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's been um, the expectation since we found out um, about Roger's return. But before we get into that, Enda, was mm-hmm. that your shocking lack of professionalism that had their ringer on in the middle of your huge opportunity to talk? No, to that was not me. That oh, was wasn't not me. you. Okay, no. I just wanted to make sure of that because that would have been a real shocker. Okay, yeah. well, good. No. Glad to hear that. But 
Scout's honor. You, you're you're being truthful that about was, that. Yeah, you would lie that was not me. You could you okay. could tell All because right. it was so much uh, louder. You, that actually, um, I heard that go off in the press conference. Are you accusing been, Brendan Rogers of having no, his I'm, ringer on? I'm accusing oh. the cameraman who was oh, okay. filming Brendan Rogers of having his phone on because <laughs> you can hear it right beside the camera. That's where the noise is coming okay. from. So. Uh, well, you're the professional. I'll I'll uh, accept that expertise. Um, but yeah, I. So I, I found his answers to your questions very interesting. Um, not not terribly surprising. I mean, he's not going to come out and you know badmouth anybody, um, this of this heart or anything like that. Um, and I, and I think he answered the the idea about style of play. Um, it was it was interesting to hear him explicitly name three four three an attack, uh, which is you know kind of. I think those of us that have watched it look like that, but you know, for him to characterize it that way, I thought was interesting. And I, I think um, the way that the recruitment's gone so far and just with the personnel, it seems like we're probably going to go that direction again, at least to a degree, meaning that we've seemed to have a lot of defensive midfielders arriving or already um, in, in the hopper. Uh, so that lends itself to kind of the, the dual pivot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, it, as we talked about, he, he's he's not an um, an ideologue in the sense of uh, that Ange was, and that you know Ange, as Alan said, would make these little tweaks within um, the context of that ideology. And I think you know Rogers is is less so of an ideologue. He, he's more, um, you know, m- more of a painter. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's more about trying to be creative and. Uh, problem solving in the moment, um, more strategic. Uh, I, there's good and bad with that. You know, we, and, you know, Dominic, um, our discussion with him with, with uh, his time at Leicester, you know, when you do that kind of shifting around, you can get it wrong. Um, and it, it highlights one of my pet peeves about just kind of generally this cultural uh, bias towards being more defensive away from home. Um you know, obviously it's different if you're going, you know, to Barcelona or to Real Madrid, but you know, this, there, there's still the, in, in some uh, decision makers in, in football, still this bias to even when you're playing someone similar to you as far as stature, uh, th- this idea of being aggressive at home and, and more defensive away. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I, I think it, it's uh, promising. Um, obviously we have to fulfill but I think um, as we'll get into <laughs> some of this is going to come down to personnel is a big part of this. Um, but I think we'll, we'll probably have a lot more margin for error relative to the path that we would have been going down in this parallel universe of Ange staying uh, for this season. Um, so, yeah, uh, some more top line news from the press conference. So Mikey Johnson is injured unfortunately again three months he's going to be out with a back injury which is just i mean that's just devastating for him after getting his form back and it's i'd say really bad news for ireland as well because he has been really really uh brilliant when he's come off the bench or played for ireland so far so um for him to be missing those internationals from an irishman is a really uh, big blow as well cameron carter vickers back on the pitch um he obviously had that knee injury at the end of the season He's back training, but he probably won't be fit for maybe the first game by the sounds of it, but he might be pretty much good to go by the second week of the the season. Alistair Johnson is out for 
a good few weeks. It could be it could be four to eight essentially is the, the news. His ankle, um, he had an ankle injury, which he had surgery on. Marco Tilio is going to miss the start of the season. That was confirmed by Brendan Rogers that they knew he had this injury before they signed him. So uh, they always knew he was going to miss the, uh, the, the start of the season. So that's the sort of injury news. That's the newsy stuff that came from it. In terms of the rest of the stuff, you could read between the lines for some of the questions that were, thrown towards him in terms of the future of certain players. Obviously, this was an Irish-based press conference, so there was more Irish players on, or more Irish press out there, so therefore asking about the likes of Mikey Johnson, his future. Brendan Rodgers basically said it's up to Mikey to prove whether he's good enough to be at Celtic, not for them to give him a chance. Um, In terms of James McCarthy, Liam Scales, and even Joe Hart, who you will have heard in his answer, anytime he was asked about a player reading between the lines of his answer is that they're assessing the current squad and their suitability. Any player that is being under assessment, I would say it means what it is. They're assessing whether they're good enough for the the current squad. So I wouldn't take his answer for Joe Hart to be an absolutely sure thing that he's going to be Celtics number one. It does sound like it's going to be Celtics number one for at least the start of the season until January, if not the full season, and then they will be looking to replace him. But I wouldn't take it as an absolute nailed on thing that Joe Hart is going to be the goalkeeper by the sounds of it. Just reading between the lines of what he said about Hart and how that related to what he said about McCarthy and Scales and the rest of the players you would probably expect to to not be at the club in the in the next couple of months. So we'll wait and see on that one. Um in terms of the people who are going to be at the club over the next couple of seasons, we are going to talk about the new signings later on in the podcast, but Cal McGregor has signed a five-year deal since you've been away, Alan, and you've been writing about it. Um, and in terms of the structure of the deal, what it's going to be like, and how that relates to Scott Brown. Now, I want to get it on on the record straight away. Your piece does not say that Cal McGregor should not have signed a new deal, that Celtic should not have signed him because Scott Brown declined. You're just making a comparison in the amount of minutes and what happened to Scott Brown and what could potentially happen with Cal McGregor over the next couple of years. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, Callum's integral to the way that Celtic play. Um, I mean, you know, never mind my data, look at Statsbomb data. They have something called XG buildup. They have these sort of integrated metrics around, you know, um, the extent to which a player can, is involved in, in essentially progressing the ball. And, and, and you know, McGregor is just like, blows everyone else in the league out of the water in that type of thing. And that's, you know, in lay lay person's terms, you think about that as, you know, tempo setting and, you know, controlling the games is what is what the us us sort of normal fans would would probably you know, know know that attribute to be. And that really is his kind of um skill set. Um but you know, I think I do think a thirty year old player signing a five year deal is remarkable and and therefore is worthy of, of remark. Um <laughs> It surprised me. Eyebrows did raise, I'll be honest with you. Um, and in, in the piece that I wrote this week, I, I did look back at um, his last five years, really, to see you know how his performance levels have changed across a number of, of areas. And um, especially because of the experience we went through with Scott Brown, which was laterally a bit painful. I mean, remember, he'd, he'd just turned 30 when Rogers first came through the door. And... Um, you know, played very well under Rogers, uh, and and I was almost like re- revitalized, etc. And I'm hoping the same will happen here. Um, 
you know, let's be very clear though, Callum McGregor has got more minutes in his legs at 30 than Scott Brown had at 30. And we think of Scott Brown as a player that had been through an awful lot of wear and tear. You know, his style's different. He's not flying into as many tackles and so forth, but he's a hard runner, McGregor. He covers a lot of yards. Uh, he runs with the ball. He runs with the ball. And he probably covers more yards at pace than Brown did. So although he doesn't have the attrition in his legs from tackling and challenging, he's probably got more attrition in his legs from sheer, just sheer running and speed of running as well. So that's why I think it's a it's a worthy topic for discussion, because there is clear evidence on on a range of metrics that, that McGregor's data has been declining even over the last two or three years on things like ball carries, on his creativity, on his um, you know goal threat, all those things. Now we know that he's been playing a deeper role, but he's been playing in a highly dominant team, and especially the last two years in a team where you know he has had latitude to get forward. Um, you know, with the inverted fullbacks, he has been able to 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 be freer to get forward. But a lot of these key metrics are already declining. It's not a case of we're worrying about him declining um, into his thirties; they're already declining. But the other, so so all that on the table. Then the other um, pers- uh, perspective that I would bring to this would be to say, okay, accept that. What would it take Celtic if Celtic didn't have Callum McGregor? but they wanted a Callum McGregor in their team, what would it take to go out to the market and buy Callum McGregor? And if you think of it through that lens and you think of the cost of purchase and then the wages that you'd have to pay, the 13 million that Celtic have committed, I'm, I don't know it's exactly that, but a couple of things, I'm a couple of assumptions I've just made here. One is that I believe one of the Jota dividends will be that Celtic will, and because of their improved financial performance, I think they're going to raise the ceiling on what the top earners get assuming that McGregor's at that level, and let's just, for the sake of the conversation, say that that level's 50 grand. I don't know that it is. I'm just saying for the conversation. Celtic have committed essentially £13 million to Callum McGregor in, in the next five years. Now, that's a tremendous amount of money for Celtic. We know that. But if you if you were to buy a player of that quality that gave, gave gives you the attributes of uh, McGregor, um, it, I can I promise you it would cost you an awful lot more than £13 million over a five-year period to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the business case, really. Uh, and, and I don't think I'm over-rationalising um, with a Celtic sort of rose-tinted glasses. I do believe that's a reasonable value proposition to look at it that way. Um, I'm not keen on giving 30-year-old players five-year contracts, I'll be honest with you. But as I say, it would be very difficult for Celtic to buy someone like that. Just think back to um, when Celtic purchased Neil Lennon. You know, Neil Lennon, another different players, a very different style, but to to have bought what Neil Lennon gave that Celtic team that that in back in night in two thousand and three, maybe whatever it was, six million pounds in those days, right? And then the wages he would have gone straight on to thirty grand a year, I think it was he was on. So again, you inflation roll that forward. That's what you're looking at. That yeah. it'd be that type of expenditure to replace um Cal McGregor in the free market. So um what I'm saying is eyes wide open. There's already evidence of decline. Let's be very honest about that. But he's still a top player at the attributes that he gives. And as I say, I do think net net, it's probably, it's not a ridiculously poor investment. It's probably a reasonably sensible investment. Yeah. I'm going to give the non-football business point of view towards this Cal McGregor new deal. And that is that, firstly, 
cards on the table, I think Cal McGregor is still the best player in Scotland across the board, consistency-wise, ability-wise, what he brings that are intangibles in terms of his leadership qualities. But also the reason that I think that he deserves this deal and why I think we should make an exception for a five-year deal for a 30-year-old with Cal McGregor is that loyalty should be rewarded with loyalty. And I've no doubt in my mind that Cal McGregor could have left Celtic numerous times across his career for, albeit probably a low-level Premier League, if not a high-level championship side. But he probably has left higher wages on the table for his career to stick around Celtic, to stay there, to be a one-man club, essentially in his professional career as and he is the captain he's going to retire at Celtic as Celtic's captain having won numerous trebles and he has shown loyalty to Celtic which I think should be rewarded again with loyalty to him as an employee and as as somebody who um, has given countless minutes on the pitch uh, to be uh, a top professional at the club so I think it's a reward for what he has given Celtic as opposed to what he will continue to give Celtic across these next couple of years. Where I draw the line is the difference between him and Scott Brown and what I see the difference between him and Scott Brown is that Celtic continue to play Scott Brown in a role that further um, exposed his weaknesses and his age and his decline was a complete nosedive because we had a man in charge who threw Scott Brown to the Wolves essentially because he was still playing in a role that he couldn't fulfill with players who weren't helping him out. I don't think that'll happen with Cal McGregor, especially with the amount of midfielders that are coming into the club, especially with the variety of midfielders that are already at the club and coming into the club. I don't think Cal McGregor's decline will be as stark as Scott Brown's because I don't think Brendan Rodgers will allow him to be as exposed as Scott Brown was um, with his age. So that would be my point of view on the on the matter, James. I don't know what you think. Well, I'll try to add because I, I agree with both of you uh, um, in, in many respects. Um, so I'll try to add a couple of different twists to the conversation. Um, so I think the first part is that you know, when we talk about decline curves, all these things are, you know, averages and different uh, uh, lifestyle choices that players make, body compositions. They all have kind of very specific circumstances. So you take these averages and, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, everyone follows the average, obviously. Um, so the, I think one of the idiosyncratic aspects of, of Brown's timeline was that by all accounts, he had not been living the most professional lifestyle to be charitable uh, in the latter stage of the Dyla years. So when he when he committed himself to do that again, purportedly under as part of you know let's call it a come to Jesus meeting that uh, that he had with Rogers. I think it, it, it sounded like the reports at the time uh, where they had a very long conversation um, early on, on Rogers' arrival in his first tenure. And uh, to Brown's credit, he committed himself to that more kind of professional lifestyle. So he almost was on a decline curve based off of the way he was living and then kind of hopped back up into a different decline curve because of all of a sudden, you know, living a different lifestyle. So I, I, I think I don't think by there's any talk or reporting or even guesswork that McGregor has been doing anything other than lead the kind of 24 seven professional lifestyle. So I think that is a credit to him, obviously, 
but it also suggests that, hey, we might already, you know, he, he may not have that kind of bunny hop like Brown experienced. Um, so, you know, his his decline curve will obviously be his own very specific. Um, but I think this idea that he's just going to kind of have the same kind of bump that, that Brown did because of Rogers arrival, I, I, I'd be skeptical about that. Um, so the, the other thing I'll say is we just celebrated in the United States, something called Bobby Bonilla day. Have you guys ever heard of this? No, well, no. he was a baseball player back in the eighties and nineties. And, um, he went back to the New York Mets for a second tenure in the late nineties and it didn't go really well. They'd signed him to this dumb contract aging player, right? The Mets weren't the smartest and they still aren't the smartest, uh, in the money ball era of, of baseball run clubs. So they gave this really old player a lot of money and it turned horrible very fast. And they negotiated this settlement where starting in 2011, they would pay him over a million dollars a year up until 2035. So they basically just amortized the expense in the future for a long, long time. Uh, so every July 1st, there's a joke that goes around. It's Bobby Benia day. Cause he's getting his million dollars from those dummies Sorry. from the Mets. I have heard that story yeah. before. Yes, that's right. So the reason why I got into that is, I, I, first of all, I'm okay. I, I said this when they signed Forrest to his contract, which if you're going to be like a militant resource allocation person, um, it probably wasn't the most effective use of money. Um, but I agree with what you said, Enda. You know, these 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 are people that came up through the club, through the academy, and um, you know, so I'm I'm. I, I just lean on a personal basis towards that kind of, uh, as you call it, loyalty. Uh, but the other part of this is if, if, even because I think I agree with that. Like the five years, I think is the the part of this that's kind of eye opening, above and beyond it being a thirty year old. I mean, that, that's a long contract for Celtic in general. Um, and if you think about the total cost again, because we don't know the wage, part of what that could be. And by again, all accounts, he's the captain. He's been very loyal to the club. There could be a part of kind of amortizing the total compensation for him over a year or two extra uh, in order for him to get paid a fair amount, but also to make it more digestible on a season by season basis to Celtic. Um, mm. So that kind of structure in the deal, I think, would wouldn't surprise me given all the parties involved and and what's going on. Um, the other aspect is it. It's about an intelligent management of his decline. So one of the reason why I was so critical about the Brown era towards the end was that it just didn't seem like there was anything thoughtful going on. It, it, it was unfair to Brown. It was unfair to the team. It sabotaged various things. And it just was emblematic of a culture, in my view, that was, you know, in the dark ages, so to speak, um, you know, weighting some of these intangibles way higher than, in my view, they should be. Again, as I've said over and over again, not that they're they're not important on the margin. Um, so it's about how do we manage this and how do you put Callum McGregor in a position to age gracefully, uh, to, to, to be treated with, um, you know, really the, the, the respect that he deserves given his commitment to the club and the performance over the years and, you know, to being flogged like a... <laughs> <laughs> an animal for uh you know for for many many seasons now playing over you know, 55 60 games um so th those kind of wear and tear things are going to have a cumulative effect and it's about putting him in a position to succeed and help the team still which i i would be shocked mm -hmm. if that's not a priority for him so it's how does that happen and i my concern is how that's managed and and whether or not he's rotated whether or not he's 
you know, because I, I still hear a lot of supporters say they wanted him pushed forward and playing box to box. And it's like, this is not 26 year old Callum McGregor anymore. And those kind of moves would make some of these issues that Alan's pointing out relative to his, again, normal decline um, would, would make those potentially even more uh, problematic. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it um, holistically. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I just want to clarify one thing that I said in my point that before people come at me in the comments, I do know that Cal McGregor was on loan. I just couldn't remember the club that he was on loan. But to me, he is still a one club man. Does that still count if if you go out and loan when you're? Yeah, still, still, yeah, still I think so. Yeah, he didn't transfer away from the club. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's yeah, the one point to, I wanted to make before people come at me. I do know that he went on loan, but I still consider him a one club man. So, uh, Alan, I know you had another. Yeah, sorry, uh, and uh, yeah, and that loan's actually worthy of comment because it was forty-six games in League Two in England against a team battling to stay in the league, and he scored fourteen goals from uh, from the wing for that team. Was he actually played with um, uh, Jack Grealish in that team? I think I think from memory, but anyway, um, yeah. The other the other aspect of this that I think is is worthy of consideration is that you know. What I think the club is doing with the sort of let's call it the you know the Jota sort of Saudi dividend, but also they're relatively cash rich anyway, is they they are really sort of fixing the roof and, and and the foundations in advance of anything that Rogers wants to do as far as freshening up the team, and and that's we can't have a situation where every single player at the club is we're playing the sort of asset management game with you can't do it right it's not it's not always appropriate or realistic, and it's not desirable. And what I think is happening is that some of that money is essentially, as James said, being amortized across a number of years, which is why you think we got 25, 28 million for Jota. We're not going to suddenly have 25 million to spend in this transfer, and it's not going to work like that, okay? Some of this money is going to be spent over a number of years um, on the Kyogo deal, on the Jota deal, on the Maeda deal, and possibly others that may get renewed. And I think what what they want to do is have a core of players that are your backbone. I don't necessarily mean literally the spine of the team, but with, in the case of Kyogo McGregor, hopefully Carter Vickers, it is literally the spine of the team. And then you asset manage everyone else around that, okay? You can't have everybody... Flipped, flipped every two years. That's just too disruptive. You want to have a core of players that you know are going to be in, in it for the long term, if possible. Um, and, and a 28-year-old Kyogo and a 30-year-old McGregor, I've, I'm, I would be quite confident that they're in it for the long term and you can build around them and then you, you, you play the asset management game with the, with some other players, if you like, you know, your Jotas and your Abadas and so forth. So that was that would be the other consideration that I would say is that, you know, you need to have that core. And it also it sends the message that if you want to be here for the long term, we will look after you. And that's, an, that's really quite an important message as well. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's what I mean by the loyalty as well because i th- i think with celtic fans the biggest thing that especially with players like jota or whatever henrik larsen is always the number one person that they throw that you know he stayed longer than he probably could have but he showed loyalty to the club and we'll show loyalty to him in the aftermath of his career here i think you need to consider that with that these are human beings at the end of the day and if you only selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You consider them to be assets to the club, then you will always be selling players after two years and you will never have a player like Cal McGregor who spends his entire career at one club and becomes, you know, a figurehead of that. And like the likelihood is with this sort of deal, especially with the amount of minutes that Cal McGregor has in the tank, I suspect he's going to be pretty much done. Now, I could be wrong. He could be one of these freaks that goes on and he given his fitness, he he actually could be one of these players. But I suspect his career will be winding down within three seasons and he'll start moving into a coaching role within the Celtic uh, Academy and, and the underage structures. I would imagine that's going to be part of this deal as well, that he'll end up going into his coaching badges if he wants to do that. Um, so, I mean, I think obviously from a playing perspective, it's not going to be ideal if we're still playing Colin McGregor a 34-year-old in the midfield who has, you know, how many thousands of games under his belt. But I don't think that will happen. I think that's the key point. Well, I, I, the other part of that is, well, first of all, you're, you know, the comments on Larson, the, the financial disparities in Larson's time. I mean, Celtic and Rangers were paying wages that were yeah, we- not not that dissimilar to Premier League or even, you know, maybe not the Galacticos clubs, but you know, top tier in Italy and France. So we could compete in order to keep him at the club. Like, well, make it reasonable. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't going to leave to get 10 times his wages. (laughs) So he would have gotten more probably had he gone to Barcelona earlier or Madrid or somewhere like that, but it wasn't like exponential difference. Um, So, 
you know, it's it's hard to play counterfactual as far as what, what you know, what the 28 year old or 29 year old Henrik Larson would have been decision he would have made had he had that kind of um, financial opportunity on the on his plate. But um, yeah, but the other, the other aspect. So this this is another kind of just concern I have about McGregor's aging is, he, you know, if he's going to be in that deep midfielder role, I, I and he still might progress to this. I mean, I don't underestimate his ability to. Um, get better in certain ways because he is a really smart player. But, you know, he doesn't have that kind of deep-lying, pure-low playmaking um, aspect, meaning that to Alan's point, his, his he's almost like the cog in the machine that makes the engine go. Um, there's not a lot of that deep-lying creativity at, at, a, at a really high level where you'd say, okay, even at 30 or 4 or 35, like he's so good from deep, you know, like an Iniesta type that you'd say, hey, he can still pick out passes and just be insanely creative and rip teams apart um you know he's not completely devoid of that but it, it, it's not a uh, a central aspect of of his game um so that's another part of this is that as he as he kind of slows and loses a you know a little bit of that um you know kind of what's left and and if if if, if it's that still that cog in the machine aspect um you know that it's going to be tougher to manage that decline Mm. Uh, well, sorry, Endo. I was just, I was, sorry, I was just checking there that uh, the money that Celtic were playing Larson in two thousand and one, which I believe was forty grand a week, is worth seventy grand a week now. So, imagine what quality of players we could have got if we hadn't paid national insurance and, and tax on them. We could have got some even better oh, players. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why we didn't do that. Well, nobody else was doing that, Alan. So I think that would be the main point. Yeah, it would have been unfair. I think. I think we would have got a competitive yeah. advantage if we'd done that. And that would that wouldn't have been right. I think so. Um, look, we'll move on to the players that are coming into the club right now. And that is the reports today from the Korean media, at least, that uh, Yang Hun Jun, who has been linked with Celtic for a good while now, it's essentially official by the looks of it, 2.5 million. He's a winger coming in uh, from Gangwon FC. And then along with that is uh, a midfielder, Kwon Hu Kyo, who is... Um, you are so impressive, and, a, and a, what a professional. Unbelievable. Now, I would be lying if I said that I didn't mute myself to Google <laughs> the pronunciation of the two names there, um, but I think I did a decent enough none job. Of the, none, of the, none of those words is more than four letters, ain't it? How hard can it be? Oh, it's harder than you think. Um, but listen, the, uh, the midfielder is actually somebody that Celtic have been linked with last year. So um, he was someone that Ange apparently wanted to bring into the club, as was uh, Yang Hun Jun. So these are players that were already scouted by Celtic and are coming in under Brendan Rodgers as opposed to Ange Postacoglu. And Alan, you did some lovely bit of work that I was going to do, but I'm glad that you did it instead of me. And that is looking up the transfer window this summer in comparison to to last year because I think that loads of people are getting quite panicky in that Celtic are sort of standing still as they were accused of last season as well or a couple of seasons ago uh, so if you look at Celtic's transfer business so far this season uh, you have Odin Tiago home you have Marco Tilio and then the permanent signing of Iwata who comes in and uh, so the third by that was by the 13th of July that you had that by this time over the last couple of years, Celtic had signed one, two, three, four, five players um, as opposed to the three players. Now, the context of that is two of those players was Benjamin Segrest and Alexandro Bernabe, who are not first-team players. The rest was Maida, Carter Vickers, Jota, and then a 
uh, give it a couple of days, Aaron Moy. So despite perception, Celtic are probably similar levels to what they're, they've been doing over the last couple of seasons, really. They're not much slower as is being perceived online, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know to what extent this is going to carry on. This kind of, you know, identification of young twenty, something, young twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two-year-olds um, who've clearly been scouted, as you said, for a considerable number of time. I think Tilio said at least two years they've been on Celtic's radar. I think uh, Yang, as you said, it was maybe maybe the same. So these are players that have um, Celtic know an awful lot about, and really, this is what it is. This is the system working. This is exactly what we've talked about for a long time, which is that you've got a player recruitment model that is is not independent of the manager, but it's it, it, its function is independent of the manager. And what I mean by that is you change the manager, the recruitment process carries on because the, the type of players that you're wanting to buy, the type of football that you want to have for the style of football that the club plays is almost going to, you know, your, your manager recruitment is going to, is going to be complementary to that. Now, as, I, as the way I'd characterize it is that, you know, Mark Lowell is uh, responsible for finding uh, players who fit the model uh, and when I say model, I'm, I'm talking about cost. I'm talking about resale value, age profile, um, and, and obviously ability. All those things come into into this, right? Um, but ultimately, Brendan Rodgers, in this case, as the manager, he's accountable for for buying these players because uh, they're bought under his name, and he has an ultimate veto or not over those players. But it doesn't. But the players that he's being presented with are being vetted through the model. That the club has uh, you know, implemented, as opposed to let's say an old school um, model, which would be, you know, which agents does the manager get on best with, and that's the pool of players that we're going to we're going to pick from. This is the club driving recruitment, and the manager being uh, having the final say off. This is exactly what we've talked about, and the way it should be working. So we're in a position where we're recruiting a batch, potentially four very young players, who probably none of us and. I'll hold up my hand, know much or anything about uh, for sort of, you know, in that sort of one to two to three million pound bracket of all of a similar age, all look quite fast to me, uh, quite, um, you know, a bit more a bit more athleticism about them, which is, again, something that we've talked about. I think that's great. Um, and I think that's uh, probably healthy. I still... I'm not worried, okay? So let me just pre- preface what I'm going to say next with the fact I'm not actually worried as I sit here today because, you know, we when the new manager's in, he said numerous times, he said it on your interview, that um, he's assessing the squad, right? So we've got to let him go through that process. And that's only fair to the, the current players, the current employees, the current human beings that we have in the building today that they get a chance uh, to, to to make their case for, for inclusion going forward. So that, that takes time. Um you know, we're not under pressure yet. I know that I was was on the Axon blog earlier, podcast earlier, and Jim Orr was rightly saying, oh, you know, we go to Ibrox in eight weeks or seven weeks or whatever, and we don't have a defence and crap, this is that, the other. And I go, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's all, that's all tactics, right? That's all tactics. Strategically, we're not buying these players to play at Ibrox in eight weeks' time. We're buying these players for two, three, four, five years. So we've got to get this bit right. So we need to work out who's... who's um, who's going to be staying, who's going to be going. There's still an enormous job to do, I think, in getting a lot of players out the building, right? Yeah, and well, I, can I, I just not- can I cut across mm. for one second and just make a, sure. a, a point on that? Uh, one of the first things that Brendan Rodgers said about um, his transfer activity for Celtic coming in this time is that sometimes it's not about bringing players in, it's about making sure that 
some players aren't brought in. So I think they're being very careful about who they're bringing in as opposed to just getting in bodies. You, you know, there's no point in bringing in yeah. loads of bodies that are like, uh, you know, Eriguchi or um, a couple of the names that were brought in in the very early te- tenure of um, Ange's reign that are no longer at the club anymore and were just pointless bodies. Yeah, and, and and we also don't seem to be doing the sort of try before you buy. I mean, the Yen, Jens and Abelgar last season were excellent examples of we got these players on loan, we tried them, and then, you know, there was almost like a minimal pain to get rid of them, really. We're not doing that. They were, you know, we're committing to these young players. So that's a slight a slight change as well in that sense. So uh, obviously, like all transfers, there's a bit of risk, but I don't think we'll see the, the sort of bigger money signings or the bigger player reputation signings, if you want to put it that way, uh, quite yet. But I don't think we're under any panic to do so. I do think we need, we do, I do, you know, this is an interesting debate, isn't it? You know, do we hope that every single one of these four players that you've mentioned, you know, home, um, you know, uh, Tilio, et cetera, Yang, uh, et cetera, do we hope that each one of them is a Larson-esque signing, you know, under the radar? Unlikely these days, right? Um, and, and the fact remains that, for us to be competitive in the Champions League, we simply need better players. It's not complicated. You know, we saw what a brilliant system can do in Champions League, right? I've never seen such a coherent, well-coached Celtic team as what we saw under Ange. wasn't good enough because we simply didn't have good enough players. At the end of the day, you simply need better players. So we do need to upskill. In, in, in a lot of key positions and, and get better. And that inevitably costs money. And if you're going to get spend more money on players, it takes longer, it's more complicated, you're less likely to get them, they're going to have other options, they're less likely to want to come, all of that, right? So be patient is what I would say. I think there's an awful lot more to happen, an awful lot more to come. I think we're almost picking off the loaf hanging fruit of, you know, young talent that's been well scouted for a number of years. So that should give us confidence. But that isn't what's going to take us um, up a level from fourth in a Champions League group to third. I think that's still to come. Yeah, I agree with all that. James, do you want to come in with that? Yeah, I I, um, completely agree. I think um, the interesting debate comes down to... um, you know, kind of an optimized resource utilization, right? So to, to, to sound even dorkier than I usually do. Um, but ha- how much do you allocate to that? Let's call it uh, flyers, right? And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but just kind of, you know, if you're, if you're buying in that one to three million range now, um, I mean, you almost have to go to some of these markets to even reasonably have a decent shot because uh, you know two million in Korea is not the same as two million in France, obviously. Um, so it makes sense that there would be a, a, a shift towards some of these markets that are um, generally cheaper. Um, but it's going to be a question, you know, because again, we just haven't been doing these things. So these all all these things are very unknown. I mean, the, the fact that it's the twenty three twenty four season and we're finally kind of getting around to doing this um then we, we flirted with a kind of version of this um oh geez I, I can't even remember the name anymore covid brain uh the guy who was the director of, of uh, recruitment under park john park no no after him uh, in the 1920 season in 2021 he brought in bark 
Yes. No, no. After him, after him, he, he was the one who had brought it all the young English players or from England, you know, Frimpong and that class. I forget the guy's name, but, um, you know, we, so we kind of sort of went through, but it was this hybrid of like guys we knew. Yeah, we were, they were recruiting in that kind of 17 to 21 age group, but it was this hybrid of looking younger, but doing it old school way with contacts and agents. Um, and, and this is more so looking like a global kind of recruitment process. Uh, so better late than never, for sure. Um, but it's just going to take some time until we see how how good they are at it, right? I mean, we just don't know. So we hope. I mean, all these guys kind of look good and interesting, and right? But it's, you, you know, for that basket of one to three million, you're, you're, you need, you know, in my area, you need that convexity, Right. You need the Van Dykes and, the, you know, some of these guys that are just going to mature and develop in a way that's surprising. They have raw materials, but they really just come through in a way that's unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you play a numbers game there. You're probably going to get some of those that happen. Um, and hopefully you raise the floor that most of them are at least productive and and you and they get smart about, you know, they play a couple of seasons and show that they're maybe even like mid tier championship level quality. And, and you buy them for one and you sell them for five and that kind of thing. So you, in Talon's point, you have the core and then you start turning some of these guys over. And, and if you do it enough, you're at least turning it into a positive cash flow enterprise um, with some flyers that hit big. But again, are you going to be able to do that in volume to get the quality of player like Alan's talking about without doing more of the six, eight, $10 million bracket where maybe you're having to pay a 19 year old 40 grand a week thinking that you're taking more risk because of that. But if you're really good at what you're doing, then, you know, maybe it's not that big of a risk. Yeah. I know that just because something is better than it was, doesn't mean that it's, it's good and should be acceptable, but just for context on the last, uh, this transfer window in comparison to the uh, 2021 transfer window where Celtic brought in, one, two, three, four, five, six players. Um, Diego Laxalt, John Joe Kenny, Shane Duffy, Barkas, Ajeti. It's better to keep those players out of the club than bring in six players and for all six of them to be absolute flops. So that's sort of where I stand on it. I would rather the club be prudent and maybe it's only three to four players coming in than it for it to be seven or eight players and for, you know, five or six of them to be absolutely useless and no, no use to the club anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not panicking. I'm not panicking on this season at all. I think there seems to be that level of anxiety as there always <laughs> tends to be with Celtic fans, despite the dominance domestically. Um, but it, I guess we're just about a month out from the start of the season. Like our, are you just nervous for the start of the season? Are you just worried about the way the squad is coming together in comparison to last year and comparison to the, the competition that's going to be there? Really, in all honesty, um, I think there's a hell of a lot of work to do. I really do. As I say, I think that was always going to be the case. I think we knew that after two years under Angebol, there was going, to, there was going to be certain players that would have been starting to attract attention. And, and if we're being true to ourselves, we, we you know we're, we're encouraging to... Um, 
to be flipped in that way, like Yota uh, or Yoto. Yoto. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they, I have to say, have I to have that. to say though, like you said that he's not the same Rogers as he was in the last time. Some of the stuff in the press conference would mm. would prove you otherwise. <laughs> so so listen, yeah. So so we had we had to get this would be the season two years in that we would start to flip some of the the ones that saw their futures elsewhere and, and that hopefully we then start to grow the football club because on the back of that so that, I think that was always going to happen we knew that we had nine players out on loan none of whom seemed to have a future under the old manager and I'd be astonished if they transformed their um, futures under the new one sorry uh, and um, if Liam Skills falls into that category um, so 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 we knew that we've got, we had that to deal with because you can't just carry a 30, 32, 33 man squad, we've got to get at least sort of 8, 9 players away, that's Peter Nicholson's job once Rogers decides, um, Peter Nicholson yeah, um, Nicholson's job once Freudian um, slip <laughs> you know, once uh, Rogers decides uh, which ones he doesn't want, so there's a lot of work to do, but remember remember last season I can't remember exactly the number of weeks we had, but because we don't have the you know we have the luxury of no qualifiers, we had a week between every single game for the first six weeks maybe of the season, um, you know, and that meant you know, and look at the intensity with which we played in each of those games. Um, so I, th- I think you could add on. I know we've got some difficult, tricky away games. We've got to go to Petodre in probably six weeks' time, and as I say, Ibrox in maybe eight weeks' time, etc. But remember, we've still got the core of players who've been round the block in that sense, who've won a league, two leagues relatively comfortably, etc. So I'm not panicking at all at this stage. I'm not, I'm not even I'm not even strongly worried. I'm just slightly concerned that there's a hell of a lot of work to do. And we're mm. sort of jetting around there we go, got the jetted in, jetting around the planet to Portugal, Japan and Dublin and God knows where, uh, which must have an impact in terms of, you know, some of the work that's able to be done to sort some of these problems out. But it's not a, a massive concern at this stage as though there was a mini Brendan Rogers watching a recording of this podcast Anthony Joseph has just popped up on Twitter to say that Celtic are in the market for a goalkeeper this summer it's understood that one target being closely monitored is Croatia and Dinamo Zagreb number one Dominic Levakovic yeah Levakovic who has one year left on his contract uh, Fiorentina interest has cooled Villarreal and Fernabashi are also keen on him. So, I mean, I did say in this podcast that I, I, I thought that there is actually some reading between the lines to be done with Rogers' answer there. So interesting to see that we're being linked with a goalkeeper here, James. I did mean to actually talk about Hart, but we're 54 minutes in. So maybe yeah. this is the best place to uh, get a, a quick mention on the goalkeeping situation. Well, if that's true, you've made my day because I hadn't seen that yet. Um because I, I, I've been a broken record on it for a while now. And I, uh, somebody, I forget who it was on Twitter, actually asked about him, uh, that specific player. And so I looked at, uh, kind of, you know, kind of his um, history. Was, me. <laughs> was it you? I don't even remember. There's too many people anymore. Well, somebody asked me, and I okay. dug up some crap oh, data. Right. And I said, that's, that's right. James. He's got better data. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's more in line with what I would hope for. Um, now again, I haven't done like a deep dive into the guy or, you know, even seen him play in person outside of, I think the world cup. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he seems like he's more of the type of keeper that can win a game. Um, and that's, I just, I don't think that's hard particularly at the European level. Um, but, but circling back on the question of, of nervousness, I'm, I'm not nervous per se, but I have to say that, um, you know, we, we've talked 
almost endlessly now about this issue of injuries. Uh, and we've just gotten some bad luck now. Like this, this isn't even like systemic club level um, soft tissue issues, which I continue to have concern about on kind of a ongoing basis. But these are just trauma injuries, you know, uh, ankles and, um, uh, you know, impact type stuff. Uh, and, you know, when, when you're talking about uh, Alistair Johnston and, um, you know, even potentially like a, a, a CCV injury, depending on what happened with his knee. So, you know, to have some of these injury concerns and depth questions, Telio being out and not really being a, a number, you know, obviously that had nothing to do with us, our, our club. Um, so all of a sudden, like you're, you're thinking about depth, not, not on a long-term basis, but in that, you know, first 10 weeks of the season, let's say, um, so we're already down enough guys and there's enough questions there where <clears throat> you can start to say, oh, okay, well, you know, the ranks are a little thinner than with Jota leaving at wing now. Um, you know, I think we're covered, but one more guy all of a sudden pulls a hammy in Tokyo or, you know, in, in you know, wherever we're playing in in uh, Japan, which, again, wouldn't be shocking in preseason. Like these things kind of just happen when you're getting ready for a season at times, uh, particularly if they're not, you know, being really vigilant about uh, managing those risks. So that's probably the the thing I am nervous about would be if we do have some kind of rash of preseason injuries, because um, we already have enough now already, which like I said, are just kind of bad luck seemingly um, where a couple more and you'd be like, Oh boy, maybe we do need to get some of these players in faster. Um, so yeah, uh, just coming at you with some quick stats that I pulled up on FB Ref, uh, which is a free database for, for stats, is pretty good. So on Dominic uh, Levakovic, his scouting report, this is compared with the big five leagues across mm-hmm. the Champions League and the Europa League included. So 549 minutes worth of data on him. His post-shot XG per, uh, minus his goals, uh, allowed so this is um the metric that is used mm-hmm. for goalkeepers he's in plus four plus point four two which puts him in the ninety ninth percentile of that stat his save percentage is seventy one percent which puts him in the eighty nine percent percentile um touches he gets the ball a lot by the looks of the way that i don't know i haven't seen Zagreb play that much but he averages forty five touches per game which puts him in the ninety fifth percentile and um, now the bad part is crosses stop three point or 3% per 90 minutes of crosses stop seventh percentile across the uh, top right. five Euro clubs, uh, leagues in Europe. So he is not a box dominating goalkeeper by any stretch of the imagination, but he seems to be comfortable with his feet and a decent shot stopper, which I think vaguely remember him in the World Cup being absolutely world beating at times. But you know, players can do that when they're playing for their country in the World Cup. Yeah, he 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 fits actually what you just described and what I what I looked at because I I also I like looking at long term averages but then also kind of breaking it up as far as like consistency and the other thing I like to look for in keepers is kind of the the shape of their distribution and I I did a post on this um, I forget when it was but it might have been when there was rumors of maybe um, them bringing in uh, oh God sakes my brain uh, what what's his face for the national team that was is at at Hibbs, uh, the old guy. Um, oh, help me out. Help me out with well, Marshall. Yeah, I did. Marshall, I did. 
Right. Yeah. Marshall, David Marshall. Um, so I did a, I, I look at their history and the, like the tales of the d- distribution. I mean, how many right tail games do they have where they just outward, you know, had a ton of, you know, a, a, a Fraser Forster game, right. Where they stood on their head and, you know, uh, faced f- four in, and post shot XG and, and gave up only one goal or zero, like a really outlier versus how many games that they just completely crap it and roll the ball into the net. And Marshall was one of these guys where he did have some of those crazy games where he would win a game, but his left tail was way fatter. Like he had way more games. So he was tilted. And I think he proved that out um, so far when in his return back into Scotland. And, and so this guy, when I've looked at him is he does have more right tail than left tail. He's more consistent. uh, And he looks like a really good shot stopper. And if you listen to what uh, Roger said in his answer to you, very specifically, you know, he's a simple passer because, again, his passing s- stats, that I did look at him in the last two years in Europe, which is the only thing I have for him on Stats Bomb, um, is that in limited sample size, he, he does look like a simple passer, meaning that he's not a guy that's going to play the ball out in any kind of sophisticated, sophisticated way. Um, but he's a shot stopper. And, and, and that's been my issue with Hart is that we've – he's kind of talked about as a shot stopper, but he's not really delivered that at a, at a top level. Um, he's been functional in Scotland, but not, he hasn't been dominant mm-hmm. in that way in Scotland. And at the European level, we kind of get none of it. I mean, he's not a ball player. He's not good off the line and his shot stopping hasn't been good enough. Uh, so I think this guy would really fill that gap. So I, I find that very hopeful if, if it's the case. Mm-hmm. Well, that is uh, Anthony Joseph who's reporting that. So you'd have to imagine it's fairly concrete to be um, links at at least, if not um, being talked about in terms of Celtic actually making a move for him. So that'll be a very interesting signing. I think that'll make a a lot of people very excited for the season ahead, as opposed to nervous. If that, uh, that would be a statement signing for Celtic, in my opinion, Uh, bringing in the the number one Croatian goalkeeper is, is fairly good going and he's still quite young. So um, that is probably the best place to park the podcast this Friday night. And I'm going to go get a, a Chinese. I know you just don't really have those um, in America. So um, what are you talking about? Well, you, 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 not the ones that we have. You oh, it's different. Have it's different. Yeah. yeah, ours is filled with MSG and horrible preservatives, and oh, oh so so is ours. It's just not Chinese oh, yeah. food. It's it's like curry and as much. rice and chips and <laughs> oh, chicken and, and peppers. It lo- like doesn't remotely uh, <laughs> doesn't remotely uh, look like or taste like Chinese food. So, but it's still delicious. So that's what I'm going to do on my Friday night. Um, Alan, thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. James, thank you. Yep. And thanks to everybody who is tuning in on podcast or on on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube and you like the channel, make sure to like and subscribe and leave a comment below as well. And we'll try to get back to as many comments as we can. If you're listening on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review to give us a little bump in the algorithm. And uh, we will be continuing on with these conversations over the next couple of weeks. So make sure you're following us on Twitter as well. We shall chat to you next week. Good luck. Time to play the game. Time to play the 
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.